This is Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the flower snare, fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and a rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys the, at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Hmm. I will protect him and he will acknowledge my name. He will call me and I will answer him. I will be in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Thanks be to the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rick. Um, because we love having the children with us so much, we have, well, okay, so we forgot to dismiss them. Now is the time to go with, with uh, Joy and with uh, everybody that's waving back there. If you're a child from little, little child up through, I think, grade five, now is your time to escape. <laughs> well, again, thank you, Rick, for reading, reading that psalm. I just love that psalm. Uh, over the years, at bedsides, in hospitals and nursing homes, when I've been asked to read... Oh, wait a minute. I can take... <laughs> Do I need to start over? Did you hear me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when I've been asked in these kind of settings to read from Scripture, uh, a relatively few number of passages have been requested over and over again. The 23rd Psalm... Uh, the Romans chapter 8, um, Isaiah chapter 40, and then this psalm, Psalm 91. What people want from Scripture in situations like I've just described, what they want is comfort and encouragement. And Psalm 91 is full of comforting promises and encouraging declarations from God. Um, Sometimes, though, after I read, the question gets asked. <laughs> if God is promising me refuge from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence, what am I doing in this bed with cancer? You know, I mean, words that might have brought comfort <laughs> end up sometimes causing confusion. And resentment. So how are we supposed to read and understand this beautiful psalm when we live in a dangerous world where uh, that constantly threatens us with trouble? 
mean, how are we to read Psalm 91? Well, to get at this question, we have to deal with three approaches to reading this psalm. First, we can read the psalm uh, as God wants us to read it. Second, we can, read, we can misread this psalm as Satan wants us to read it. And then thirdly, we can pray this psalm as we read it. So let's start with reading this psalm as God wants us to read it. And to do that, we have to take a careful look at the text. So Psalm number 91, what do we see? Well, first we need to look at the text itself. So here it is in my Bible. Um, and I want you to help me we'll compare Psalm 91 with the psalm uh, on either side of it. First was Psalm 90. So do you see this? Uh, this part of Psalm 90? Um, it's called the superscript. How are we doing? One more slide, I think. Okay, now we're comparing. And now the next slide has the super... There we go. Aha. This is called a superscript. It's in Psalm 90. And, um, and the superscripts tell us what we can know about a psalm. Maybe who wrote it, uh, along with sometimes a historical reference that, uh, so we know what circumstances led to the, the psalm's writing. And the superscript for Psalm 90 tells us that this is a psalm written by Moses. Now, sometimes the superscript tells us what kind of psalm it is, uh, when it's to be used, and, and uh, even maybe some instructions for the worship leader. So this is Psalm 92. The superscript directs us to be used during worship by the, or on the Sabbath. But we have no superscript for Psalm 91. And so we don't know much about it. We don't even know who wrote it. It has some of the stylistic features of Psalms written by David. Um, but on the other hand, it follows a Psalm written by Moses. So many scholars will link Psalm 90 with Psalm 91 and link them together as both having been written by Moses. And that's where I land on this psalm. And if it was written by Moses, well, we can be sure that he had one thing on his mind. <laughs> the covenant relationship God established with Israel through Moses himself. You know, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Solemn promises were exchanged uh, a covenant was formed, and this is the basis of that covenant. I will be your God, and you will be my people. So the essence of this covenant is that God first reaches out to us. His first action is to reach out to us in love, in grace, in mercy. Now, his actions toward us spring from his character, uh, because that's who he is. He is a God of love, of grace, of mercy, and he is a God of action, and he extends all of this to us as the first cause. And then, in response to what God has extended to us, his people trust him to be their one and only God. I will be your God, you will be my people, a covenant relationship. Now, 
this was the main thing for Moses. And everything he wrote has the intention of teaching God's people to what it means to live in covenant faithfulness with him. So look back at Psalm 90, verse, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then look at Psalm 91, how it takes up this same theme. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. These psalms are reminding us of God's unchanging faithfulness. Uh, and they call forth from us a response to place our trust in Him because of His faithfulness to us. To live within the covenant Responding to what God has done, that's our part of the covenant. So, in order to read Psalm 91 properly, as God wants us to read it, we have to take notice that, uh, that it takes a liturgical form of call and response. A leader issues a call to the people, and the people respond. Now, actually, there are three voices in the psalm. There's a prompter or a leader who reminds us what it's like to live with a faithful God. There are responders, us, who affirm this truth and then proclaim it as our own. And then God appears at the end of this psalm with a declaration of his commitment to us and promises for those who live in a covenant relationship with him. So let's see how this works in the psalm, okay? Verse 1, the prompter. He is reminding us of something that is true. Whoever dwells in the shadow of the most, or in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then verse 2, this is the people responding now. And we say, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Then verses 3 through 8, the prompter, again reminding us what is true. He will save you, He, he will cover you, you will not fear. Then verse 9, our affirmation of this, if you say the Lord is my refuge, you make the Most High your dwelling. Back and forth, back and forth. Verses 10 through 13, the prompter is still reminding us what is true. No harm will overtake you. He will send his angels, they will lift you up. And, and then in verses 14 through 16, God's voice declaring his faithfulness and making unbreakable promises to those who love him and know his name, the people of the covenant. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So that's how the psalm is organized. It's a liturgy of call and response with the voice of God coming in and at the end to provide for us the foundation of uh, our sense of rest in this world. Okay, so continuing on with trying to learn to read this psalm as God wants us to read it, 
we now have to look at the language itself because Moses was a skillful poet. Uh, beautiful imagery and metaphors in this psalm. Start with verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the, in the shadow of the Almighty. To dwell. To dwell in Hebrew means to, to sit down, to, to tarry, to abide. Uh, it's, the, it's the peaceful immor- informality of the home setting where there's no rush, there's no pretense, there's no tension. Dwelling with God, just being together. Unconditional love, acceptance, complete peace and rest. Whoever dwells. And then it says, in the shelter of the Most High. So these Hebrew words were written to evoke a military image that describes the tent of an army commander. Uh, The commander's tent was at the center of the camp. It was surrounded by concentric circles of tents of the soldiers as a way to protect this commander's tent in the center from being overrun. So an enemy would have to break past all of the uh, other tents in order to attack anyone dwelling with the commander in that kind of a protected position. And that's us. In the shelter of the Most High, we are inaccessible to the enemy. Here we can sit down. We can relax peacefully. Here we can, re- we can, we can rest. We can, we can release our stress. We can regain our sense of peace and, and well-being uh, in complete safety under the shadow Moses goes on to say, under the shadow of the Almighty. So resting under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, some of us are, <laughs> some of us are old enough, I think. <laughs> some of us are old enough to remember when they used to show a cartoon before a movie, any movie, right? <laughs> I'm not the only one that remembers that. Those were, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> Tom and Jerry cartoons were my favorite. Tom the cat, forever tormenting little Jerry the mouse. Uh, Jerry usually giving back as good as he got. I loved those cartoons. And of all the Tom and Jerry cartoons that I saw in those days, I still remember one scene 65 years later or more. (laughs) And it was something like this that I'm about to show you, except that it was all done with shadows. So as you see these images, imagine shadows instead. So first we see the tiny, shaking shadow of Jerry, the mouse, who's cowering as the much larger, alarming shadow of Tom comes around the corner, his, out, his arms outstretched, and Jerry is engulfed by this terrifying shadow. I mean, it just scared me to my bones. (laughs) Shadows can do that. But then suddenly, the large shadow of Tom is dwarfed by the huge shadow of the man of the house who is coming to Jerry's rescue, ready to knock Tom into oblivion. I mean, shadows can tell a powerful story. Now, it's true. (laughs) Trouble casts a 
fearful shadow. Uh, but, but fear gives way to rest when the shadow of the Almighty One comes into the picture, overpowering any trouble. So which shadow do you want to live under? Cowering under the shadow of danger, as real as it might be? Or resting under the overpowering shadow of the Almighty? That's what this psalm invites us to do. That's where it invites us to live. Now, other images in the psalm indicate fear. The fowler's snare, the deadly pestilence, the trouble that stalks by day and by night. So all of these images of fearful images are overpowered in the psalm by images of God's protection. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. So, you're resting in a mighty eagle's nest. Out of sight. You're under his great wings. Whoever or whatever wants to get you will have to go through an eagle first. A foolish thing for any predator to uh, set out to do. And then, again, we come back to verses 14 and 16. The images of safety become uh, very concrete promises now from God himself. To those who live within the covenant, God declares, I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will answer. I will be with you in distress. I will honor. I will satisfy. I will save. See, this is covenant faithfulness. This is what we can expect when we live in relationship with the living God. We can dwell in the shelter of the king. We can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We can abide under his wings. See, this is how God wants us to read Psalm 91. Resting in the power of God. It should be a source of great comfort to us. But this is not how Satan wants us to read Psalm 91. He wants us to misread Psalm 91, and he particularly wants us to misread this psalm. And it's very easy to do. I mean, the, <laughs> the promises made in this psalm are bold, and they're sweeping, and... They seem to be conditional on the strength of our faith. If you trust God, if you love him, if you call on him, if you acknowledge his name, if you have enough faith, you will not experience violence, disaster, disease. Psalm 91 seems to be saying, if you trust God, then nothing will go bad for you. Your life will go smoothly. Now, the opposite is also implied. If your life is going badly, then obviously you're not trusting God. You're not being faithful to the covenant. Okay, so reading the psalm this way, if then, a quid pro quo arrangement with God, if I give you God, 
what you want from me, trust, then you must give me what I want from you, safety. This is a misreading of the psalm, a misreading inspired by God's enemy, Satan. Now, <laughs> because none of our lives are free of trouble, reading Psalm 91 this way leads to confusion, frustration, resentment, anything but rest. Now, we know, right, we know that any kind of I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine uh, arrangement with God is just foolish. Just as expecting to live without trouble in our lives is foolish. So Psalm 91 is not about avoiding trouble. Trouble comes. We completely misunderstand the beautiful promises we read in Psalm 91 as if, when we read Psalm 91, as if God's care for us depends upon our trust in him or our lack thereof. It's a way to misread the psalm. And Satan wants us to misread this psalm, particularly this psalm. Satan wanted Jesus to misread this psalm. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus is in the desert, giving Satan an opportunity to divert him from his mission. He's already resisted the temptation, hungry as he was, to use his power for his own advantage, turning stones into bread instead of trusting God to provide what he needed. And so Satan tried again. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Throw yourself down. Now Satan was quoting Psalm 91. Satan was trying to get Jesus to misread Psalm 91, to force God to act on his behalf. In order to be true to his word, uh, God would have to do something to protect Jesus if he indeed threw himself off the temple. Now, isn't that what God is promising in this psalm? That no harm will come to those he loves, those that love him, that God is obligated to protect us because this psalm says so? Or is that a misreading of the psalm? So if Jesus, or excuse me, if Satan would try to get Jesus to misread this psalm, you can bet he tries to get us to misread it as well. But Jesus had none of it. I mean, look at his response. Also quoting scripture, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So if Jesus wouldn't misread this psalm, we mustn't misread it either. No. I mean, the, the clear testimony of scripture and the history of God's covenant people is that danger and trouble are to be expected in life. That God doesn't preserve us by eliminating trouble, 
He preserves us by transforming trouble into something good and transforming us in the process. Remember Joseph, the, the young man with the technicolor coat? I mean, he was such a selfish pain in the neck that his brothers sold him into slavery, his brothers. And from that horrible moment in his life, his, his life went from bad to worse. And he ends up in prison, and everything that could go wrong for him did go wrong. But God transformed his trouble into something good, changing Joseph in the process. And when Joseph met his brothers again, decades after they had ruined his life, he said, you meant these things for evil, but God meant them for good. See, that's how God is faithful to his promises in Psalm 91. By transforming evil, by transforming trouble, by transforming disease and, and misfortune and tragedy into something good. It's the same thing Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. People who live in a covenant relationship with God. Now, difficult things happen to us, around us, to people we love. But God brings his power to bear on these things so that we will see, if not now, then certainly from the perspective of eternity, we will see that he somehow has transformed and redeemed what was bad into something that is good. And many of us in the room have had this experience in our lifetime walking with God. See, this is how God works. It's because of who he is. It's not because of anything we do or don't do. And we can take such comfort in this. We can rest in this assurance. In a world of trouble, we find our refuge under his wings, just as we read in Psalm 91, because God transforms trouble into something good. And then thirdly, the third way to read Psalm 91 is not just to read it, but to pray it. And, and this is where the psalm gives us our most help. So let's, let's remember the basic premise of this short series. The psalms, the prayer book of Israel, the psalms are prayers that also teach us to pray. And this is true of Psalm 91, just as it's true of all the other psalms. So reading Psalm 91 comforts us. Praying Psalm 91 transforms us. When, when we read Psalm 91, we, we say, oh, let the words bring comfort to me. Comfort from God is a good thing. <laughs> when we pray Psalm 91, we say, oh God, make me into a person who trusts you this way. I mean, it's not natural 
for us to go through life seeking refuge in a God we can't see. We have all sorts of other more tangible places to find, to seek refuge. And we do seek them in all kinds of places. A pastor, Lindsay Armstrong, puts it this way. She says, who among us has truly made God their refuge? It's often easier to cling to the safety found in money, in health, in friends, busyness, work. Who among us lives in the shadow of the Almighty, making the Most High their dwelling place? Many of us would like to and are able to do so at times. We just can't do it all the time. It's difficult to trust God perfectly, wholly, persistently. So, yeah, indeed, it is. It is difficult, impossible, really, and so we pray as we read Psalm 91. May this be so of me. May I be a person who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who rests in the shadow of the Almighty. Oh God, make this more and more and more true of me as I pray this psalm. Praying Psalm 91 makes us all the more able to live Psalm 91. So this is a prayer of rest. Do we need rest these days? <laughs> Absolutely. This is a prayer, the absence of stress and striving, the absence of anxiety, the absence of fear, resting, regaining our strength, our focus, our, our sense of who we are. Beloved children of God who sit in the center of the camp at peace in the midst of the storm and the, and the, and the attack because we are shielded safely under the wings of the God who preserves us by transforming the trouble around us into something good. Redemption. It is what God does. And it is the most powerful force in the universe. Now, this does not come natural for me, naturally for me. Uh, I doubt it does for you either. Dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. And so we pray for this. We ask God to make this be so in us. Can we do this right now together? <laughs> so I'll, I'll play the part of the prompter. Uh, you be you, the responders. And when it comes to God, we'll all speak his words to each other. Okay? So as we pray, be thinking this. Make this so within me, O oh God. Let's pray. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say... And now we all say the words God tells us, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. 
I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And God's people said, Amen.